That's a little better. People with the initials that spell out God or Ace are likely to live longer than people whose initials spell out words like ape, pig, or rat. Just FYI, that has nothing to do with the lesson. Um, But seriously though, thank you for the... I want to thank the congregation for the opportunity to be here and to be able to speak to you. Thank you for supporting us, the people who are at Freed Hardman and, and, uh, and all the other schools. We thank you for, for allowing us the opportunity to, to come here and to be able to speak to you today. I want to thank the elders by name. They really play a big role in our, uh, in our education and we want to thank them by name. Brothers David Burka, Albert England, David Fleming, Dwayne Griffin, Pat Hackney, Tony Huddleston, Dennis Nozel, Hoyt Smith, and James Whitaker. Without these men and their vision for us, we couldn't be here and we couldn't be doing this for you today. So just wanted to thank them. And you also as a congregation really support us in many ways. And this is just one way for us to give back to you. Tonight, we're actually going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about giving back in a general idea. Let's think back to the Old Testament. Think back to almost the very beginning of the Bible. If you would, turn to Genesis chapter 4. We're not going to spend much time here, but we all know the story of Cain and Abel's offering. This is really the first instance of worship that we see in the Bible. Cain and Abel got together and they set aside their own resources to give back to God. you would read with me the first few verses. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. We see going all the way back to the beginning of time, almost the beginning of time, we have been, as humans, we have had the desire to give back to God. We know what they gave and that God had regard for Abel's offering, but not for Cain's. We know that we have to do something God's way and do it. We have to follow his rules on everything in order for it to be in accordance with his will. Let's look at uh, Leviticus chapter 27. This is the very end of Leviticus. 
We know that giving back in the Old Testament comprised a lot of tithing. That was one of their one of their biggest rules was tithing. We'll just read the verses thirty through thirty three of Leviticus twenty seven. Every tithe of land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, it is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of herds and of flocks, every tenth animal that shall pass under the herdsman's staff, shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between the good or bad, neither shall he make substitute for it. And if he does substitute for it, both it and the substitute shall be holy, and it shall not be redeemed. Knowing how much importance is placed on this by tradition, we know, reading through the Old Testament, that, that tithing was a big deal to the Jews. You, know, you, were, you were considered a good Jew if you kept your tithe. If you had um, you know, given that 10%, you had done well. But it's interesting to notice that this is actually at the very end of the book of Leviticus. Fast forward to the New Testament a little bit. We're going to go to Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts and offering in the box. He saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For she contributed out of, for they contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. From this story... From this account, we see, number one, that God is watching. He knows what we give. Secondly, we see, that, so we see what he sees. We see that the widow put in two small copper coins. She put in more than all, according to Jesus. She put in all that she had to live on. Though everyone else contributed from their abundance, from everything that they had. They may have tithed. They may have done more than tithing. But she put in all she had to live on. When we look in the New Testament, it's not about giving that 10%. It's not about... The New Testament isn't about a checklist. You know, well, here's my checks and debits and credits and checks and balances and... On the bottom line, okay, here's 10%, write a check. It's not about that. The New Testament isn't a checklist religion. Sunday morning, been here, check. Sunday night, check. I'm going to make sure I'm there Wednesday so I can put that check mark down. That's not what the New Testament is about. Under the Old Testament, 10% is commanded. But we're no longer under the old law. Giving is so much more than just a number.
Good evening. I'm on. I think so. It's what a blessing it is to come back home, uh, to come back to Mount Juliet Congregation on a Sunday night and have friends and family that want to come and listen to a little bit more about God's Word through the college age. Uh, guys that are younger and much less experienced. And I know that takes a lot of patience. And we appreciate your support and our growth uh, over the years as we give back. And that's just what I want to talk to you uh, this evening is about giving back. Uh, when we study the life of Jesus, we study a man who, on a short time here on earth, he, the things that he did talk about, he did talk about giving back. He talked about dealing with your wealth and dealing with your finances. That was very important to him, and I think it should be very important to us, because after all, he, he wasn't here very long, and he talked about that a lot in the Gospels. When we see the words of red, we need to start reading them as if they're not just a repetitive story, as if they're not just some cliché. But if we start reading them as Jesus spoke them, then we can really see how they really can take a part of our lives. They can really change our lives. That's one of the greatest blessings about Scripture is that you can come back to it time and time again. Maybe if I read something right now, if I read a parable right now, it means something right now. But if I come back to it ten years later from now, it's going to carry another meaning. It's going to carry more weight than when I just read it. Uh, And hopefully we'll figure that out tonight a little bit as we study more about giving back. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Luke chapter 12. A preacher once uh, said one time that that, uh, finances are one of the most spiritual aspects of a Christian. And I believe that. He said, how you spend your money is a good uh, barometer of your spiritual condition, your spiritual life. Because you can, you can tell by someone, their spiritual life, you can tell where their heart is by where they spend their money. If you, I mean, you can, um, if you want to see where someone, you know, spends all their time, spends all their money, you can check where they spend it, whether it's entertainment, or whether it's food, or whether it's sports, or whatever. But we can see that finances, it's almost like finances and our wealth and our material things and our possessions are tied to a string, and that string is tied to our heart. They, they, they go on and together. That's why it's so important. That's why Jesus talks so much about it. Because what we do with our wealth and our finances deals a lot with what our inner being is, what our spiritual life is like. So if you would look at Luke chapter 12. This is the parable of the rich fool. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made, you, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. So we see a man coming to him, to Jesus, wanting justice. He wants, he wants uh, Jesus to take care of this problem. But Jesus isn't about social injustice right now. He's talking about righteousness. He's talking about this man's heart. He's talking about covetousness. Covetousness, something that we all in American society have either seen or are in a problem with ourselves. It's more of can be described as more of a hoarding issue. When we want new things, we have to have new things. And there's the constant thirst after one thing or another, whether it's a car, whether it's a plasma TV, whether it's a new house. We've got to have something and something and something and something after it. It's called covenants, and Jesus addresses this issue. It's also addressed in Ephesians 4.19 as more uncleanness, and Colossians 3.5 as idolatry. And uh, to look at covenants a little bit better, look at Ecclesiastes chapter uh, 2. And we see a man who has experience, experience that we probably will never have when it comes to this much covetousness. But he was able, this is Solomon, he was able to have anything he wanted. In his grasp, he could have it. If it anything, whether it was riches, whether it was entertainment, whether it was slaves, whatever, he had it. 
And that's something that we'll never be able to, I don't think we'll be able to ever see. Look at verse 4. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of the growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had possessions of herd and flocks more than any who had been before in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of many children of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. All my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, the toil I had expanded in doing it. And this was the conclusion. And behold, all was vanity, and in striving after the wind, there was nothing to be gained under the sun. We see a man who had it all. He was in his grasp. All he needed to do was just tell somebody, and he had it. I mean, that's like I said, a condition that I bet a bunch of us would be willing to be in. But that's, that was pure covetousness. Let's read the rest of the parable. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And I bet, I mean, Solomon could have told him that, you know, could have t- told the man in this parable, he could have told him that a long time ago. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, which, plentifully, which here's the increased covetousness. For he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And pause for a second. If this was Jesus in this condition, Jesus would be like, I've got plenty of places for you to show your crops, you know. I've got, I've got people on the streets that are hungry. I've got widows who need uh, food in their houses. I need people, you put this in the hands of the needy. There's plenty of places for these crops to go. But this guy didn't think like that. Verse 18, and he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? We, such, we see such a huge contrast here in between um, your soul, in between you have many years stored up for you, and your soul is required of you this night. And we see a contrast in um, you have plentifully, and versus who will they be? Who will the possessions be? Proverbs 23, verse 5 teaches us that any man that knows that uh, our riches aren't here for us, here for us forever, they're, they're soon to pass. Anybody that's been through a tornado, anybody that's been through a flood, anybody that's been through some kind of natural disaster, a fire, an illness, they know that it can be gone in a matter of life, just like that. That's what Proverbs 23 tells us, and that's what happened to this man in this case. Verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This reminds me of a passage in Matthew chapter 6, if you would be pleased turning there. This is Sermon on the Mount. Verse 19, um, Jesus says, Do not lay up for, your tre- for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven or being rich towards God. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, for where thieves do not break in and steal. So if you really want to lay up your treasures in heaven, you start being rich towards God. You'd be the opposite of the man in the, the parable. We start being rich towards God and giving to people that really need it. That's when we start taking the words of Red, or the, yeah, the words of Red more seriously and start applying to, my life, to our lives 
and not as just another cliche or uh, some other repetitive story that we've heard since we were kids. This refers a lot to Matthew ten forty two. Matthew 10, verse 40 reads, Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, meaning the disciples, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So you see, even something as small as a cup of cold water, it has credit towards the kingdom of God. Something that, something that we're taking away from ourselves. You know, it's like an, like an accountant, you know, assets equal liabilities, liabilities plus equity. An accountant statement, you, got, you debit somewhere, you credit another spot. It's like you take away, you dig a hole for yourself. You give something that the world may think that, oh, he's just digging a hole for himself. Well, you're giving away some of your possessions, even a cup of cold water, and you're storing up riches for God in heaven. You're being rich towards God. We're taken away from ourselves so we can store treasures up in heaven. And uh, our next verse is uh, Luke fourteen twelve through 14. This is one of my favorite verses uh, that I've just recently got into and started to read and started to take seriously. Think about being rich towards God. Verse 12 reads, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. We see that in a worldly perspective. You know, why would we give to somebody that they can't even repay us? That doesn't make any sense. We're supposed to be getting something out of this deal, right? Because, I mean, why would I even give in the first place when I could go buy me something, when I could just, you know, buy some extravagant thing for myself? Um, Jesus is saying here, the best things to give to are the people that can't repay you back because you're only storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven or you're being rich towards God. Then, My last verse before Matt comes and speaks to us is uh, Philippians four, fourteen through 20. Philippians four fourteen through 20. Sorry for all the scriptures this evening. This will be the last one. Verse 14 reads, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Verse 17 is key right here. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The greatest thing here is not that we're supposed to covet this gift, not we're supposed to covet this money that God's blessed us, but that we give it to others. We plant this seed, we put riches, riches towards the kingdom of God, we take away from ourselves that we've been giving and put it towards the kingdom of God so that we'll be blessed at a later date. We will be planting seeds now and so that we'll have fruit be, uh, that would grow later and be blessed. We need to start considering the spiritual implications of our physical uh, decisions 
Because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Thank you. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. We as a people of Mount Juliet um, are a people that are blessed by God. Um, regardless of whether, you, whether or not you're going through hard times currently, individually, or as a congregation, we are a people that, is, that have been blessed by God. Um, and tonight, um, we wanted, our goal was to talk about giving back uh, to God. Uh, and we already heard from Michael talking about how we give back our physical possessions, our material possessions, uh, to people who are in need. And the people that, that need it more than we do. And when we do that, in, in turn, we glorify God. Uh, but tonight, uh, just for a few more minutes, I want to talk about uh, the idea of giving back spiritually to God. Giving back spiritually to God. And this may be a harder idea to grasp because when you think about um, giving back your physical possessions, they're, they're things that are tangible. And they're things that you can, that you can touch. Um, and, you know, there's things that you can see and that you can feel. And so it's a little bit easier to understand how God has blessed you um, physically. But it's a little bit more difficult to understand how God has blessed you spiritually. Uh, because we can't see it. Uh, we weren't there, you know. We can't touch it. So it's a little more difficult to understand that. But tonight I want to talk just for a few minutes about how God has blessed us spiritually and how we can give back spiritually to God. And so when you think about God is blessing you spiritually, uh, what do you think of? Uh, probably many of you are probably thinking of the same thing that I'm thinking of. And that is, God has blessed us spiritually in the fact that we have the opportunity to spend eternity with our Father. We have the opportunity to spend forever in heaven, our spirits. And so when you think about God blessing us spiritually, that's what we have. That's it. We can't touch it. Um, we, we can't really see it. But there it is. And so when we understand what God has done for us spiritually, we have a better understanding on how we can give back to God spiritually. And when we give back to God spiritually, we give back to Him through our worship. Through our worship. Uh, turn to Philippians chapter 2. And this is where we're going to spend um, our time this evening in Philippians 2. Um, so just go ahead and stay and get comfortable right about there. Um, but in order to, to really better understand um, how we give back to God spiritually, I think it's probably a good idea to better understand um, what exactly God did for us spiritually and exactly how he did it for us spiritually. Because uh, if we don't understand that, it's really going to make it difficult uh, for us to give back to him in our worship uh, the way he wants us to. So Philippians 2, and we'll start in verse 1. And this is a very uh, familiar passage to, to many of us. Um, but nonetheless, uh, Philippians 2, starting in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look 
not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And we think about what God has given us spiritually. Here's what he's done for us. He sent his son, the Christ Jesus, to this earth. He became human and he died for us. And because of that, we are able to live our lives in accordance with his word and go to heaven. There it is. In a nutshell, that's what's happened. Spiritually. But if, if we want to give back to God spiritually, there's a frame of mind we must be in. You see, God, uh, Christ didn't come to the earth and just like lollygag around and then go die on the cross. That's not what he did. He had, a, he had a mindset. He had a frame of mind that he was in constantly. And he was able to do that for us. And if you look in verse 8, it gives it to us. Verse 8, it says, In being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We cannot worship God the way he intends us to. We cannot worship God in spirit and in truth if we are not humbled by God. We cannot worship God the way we're supposed to if we're not humbled people. We cannot be prideful. It doesn't matter if you're the CEO of your company. It doesn't matter if you're the richest person in this, in this congregation. It doesn't matter if you're the coolest dude in high school. It doesn't matter if you have the hottest girlfriend. It doesn't matter if you have the most money. It doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter if you're the best player in the sports team. I don't care. God doesn't care. If we're not humble when coming to God to worship him, it doesn't mean a thing. What we have does not mean a thing. Who we are does not mean a thing. Because Jesus was the son of God. And if anybody was going to be not humble about something, it was going to be the Son of God. Because whatever you've got, he could have more and do it better. He's the Son of God. You could be the CEO of whatever you want it to be, and he would be your boss. And that's just how it was going to work. So if anybody was going to be prideful, it was going to be Jesus. But he wasn't. He humbled himself, and he came to the earth, and he died for you. So if you're going to worship God the way you're supposed to, we need to be humble. I need to be humble. And it's interesting um, to think about because when we think about humility, um, it's funny because Jesus knew the whole time that it was going to be a problem for us, especially if you're a male. It's going to be a problem. Um, if you look in, in, in Matthew 6, like Mike talked about earlier, in the very beginning of that chapter, he talks about not doing your good deeds in order to be seen by men. Uh, pride. Humility. Um, it, it's also interesting that if you look in Matthew 4, Jesus was tempted by Satan, right? And I hope we all know that story. Jesus is tempted by Satan. And um, one of the things he's tempted by is pride. Satan tells Jesus... You bow down to me, and I'll give you everything. You can have all of this. What's funny about it is, it, it is all Jesus' because he made it all. But nonetheless, he, he said, you can have everything. It's all yours if you bow down to me. He tempted the Son of God with pride. So what makes us think that we can beat this by ourselves? If one of the things 
that Satan's going after Jesus for his pride, is he not going to come after us for the same exact thing? I would say that he is. And so, in order to give back to God spiritually, we need to be able to humble ourselves before God and our worship to him. Recognizing God as the creator of all things, uh, the redeemer, the sustainer. God is the being who set life into motion. God is, God is the one that, that made you and that gives you the chance to do what you're doing. God is the one that made you and gives you the chance to be that CEO or be that guy on the football team that's going to go play college ball. You know, God gives you that opportunity. And so we come before him as humble servants, worshiping God our Father. We can give back to him, like Mike talked about with our physical things and our physical possessions and our money. But what God wants from us in spirit and our heart is our worship, is ourselves. Christianity, Christianity is not real as a part of your life. Christianity is not real as a part of your life. Christianity is real when it is your life. Christianity is not real as a part of your life. Christianity is real when it is your life. And we can humble ourselves and give everything and our self to God. That is what he asks of us. That's what he wants. He wants our worship. He wants us. And it only makes sense because God the Father gave up what was most important to him, which would be his son. He gave up the thing that he valued probably the most. He gave up his son to us. So why shouldn't we give up the the most important thing in our lives to God? That's ourselves. Why shouldn't we give ourselves to God? And you can't give yourself to God if you're not humble. You can't give your whole self to God if you're beaming with pride because of what you've done. Because it doesn't matter. And you're going to find out sooner or later. We're all going to find out sooner or later. Christianity isn't real as a part of your life. It's real when it is your life. And pride is only going to get in your way. We need to humble ourselves. We need to worship God the Father the way He wants us to. The way He commands us to. With everything we have. And that's what we're doing tonight. And I'm glad that that we can all come here to worship God. But I hope that we realize if we're not giving our whole selves to God and if if we're not coming with a humble attitude, then really it doesn't mean anything. Because that's not what God asked. He humbled himself by being obedient, Jesus did, to the point of death. We need to humble ourselves, become obedient to God the Father. And whatever it takes, what we're willing to give. And so, that's where we're at tonight. Are you giving your possessions and your money uh, the way God intends you to? Are you, are you living your life the way God intends you to? Are you humbling yourselves the way God intends for us to? Because if you're not, then nothing really matters. Maybe you're, you're giving everything you have, but if, but if you want everybody to see it, then it doesn't make any difference. Or maybe you're hoarding up stuff for yourself and you don't want to let anybody else get any of it. Let's change that tonight. 
Let's become the people of God that we're supposed to be. Let's become the congregation at Mount Juliet that God desires us to be. Let's become the humble people that Jesus was. If we can help you with that, come as we stand and as we sing.